Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Make Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I am doing great. How are you? I didn't expect to see you here so soon. Why? Um, it was scheduled. It's, it's a- Hello, Snips. I'm doing my Anakin. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, okay, look. All right. Good, Go ahead. Good, good get into it. Go ahead and get into it. Look, look. I look. I'm not. I'm not dead yet. Do 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 do. do. No, I'm not dead yet. All right. So this is episode four, Fallen Jedi of the Ahsoka series. This was a big one. I would say that this episode, from what I could tell, I'll try to keep a pulse on what's going on, was the most positively received episode so far of the series from the Star Wars, broader Star Wars community on aggregate, right? You had some people who may like certain things, dislike certain things. What did you think compared to other episodes? Did you like it more or less than other episodes? I liked it more, though I, at the time of watching it, only thought did I, that I did like it. I've been kind of positive about the episode so far. The last episode I liked and just felt like it didn't have enough to it. It was too short. The first two episodes, I didn't have any baggage. So a lot of the very understandable negative reaction to the first two episodes. Uh, the positives were medium, but I didn't have any negatives. So I liked all of them. But, I, I yeah, I did enjoy this the most for a variety of reasons. I liked it a lot. I, I felt like the storytelling was really starting to – settle into a pace that was helpful for me. I felt like I, I'd started to learn the characters and I, I liked, I thought there was some really good lightsaber duels <laughs> in this or one good lightsaber duel. The other one was a little bit spotty. And then, you know, the cool reveal at the end, I'll be interested to talk to you about the world within worlds. Um, that's a, that's an interesting, interesting concept. It's, it's pretty polarizing in the star Wars universe. And then we can talk a little bit about where we go from there. So we will do a recap. I'll leave the recap. Jamie will chime in. Let me know what he thinks about things. And against my against my my wishes, I've been forced to do segments. So I suppose we'll continue to do segments. We'll do uh, um, look, best line of the episode, and we'll do nostalgic moment of the episode. Nostalgic moment of the episode should be fairly easy, right? Uh, I suppose so. I mean, I guess. I mean, yeah. You, you know, I'm gonna have to like throw you a curveball on that one. If it's ever too obvious, I now can't pick it. All right, so let's jump into uh, anything you want to say generally about the series of the episode before we jump in. We usually have a little bit of like general sort of talk about yeah. what you felt about the episode so before like we jump into ep- specific recap. I like the episode a lot. I feel like it did a good balance. We get a bit more of um, meeting expectations and sub- I mean, people a lot with you know new me- uh, movies talk about subverting expectations or vice versa. I feel like this one did actually a pretty good job of doing both, where I got kind of what I wanted, and I got kind of what I was looking for, but I also was definitely expecting certain things, and they happened not the way I thought, in a way I didn't mind. So I feel like it, it, it did a pretty good job of that, actually, of surprising me while also giving me a reasonable amount of what I uh, was expecting. Okay, that's good. I uh, I was surprised by the episode. Like, I the the... Where they left Ahsoka, like the fact they might have like I'm I, I'm sure she will come back in some capacity, but the, the fact they may have killed her at the end of the episode, and the fact that we get the world within worlds and we get Anakin all in the same episode, it was it was it was shocking to me. Let's say it's not say shocking. I was surprised. Can, you know, I um, you can tell me later what it actually is, but I've been to the world within worlds. That's the living waters of Mandalore. Because it's inside the world. The only other world inside of worlds is lava, and you can't go there. 
So I'm not really sure where you're going with that one. Yeah, I, I will try to explain it to you, but I will probably struggle just like every other person covering this show. I'm probably just going to say it's lava. And um, Can I say I, this? I, 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 think I, think the, I, I think I'm right. I think the previously on segment that they do before each episode is really fucking good. Like somebody, I just want to point out whoever's the editor for the previously on is doing a great job. That, that, that's true. Um, so I'll tell you, I am rewatching Mandalorian season one with my kids. The previously on has been great throughout. I have not always watched it, but I've started to on that one. I've been doing it so the kids can remember because they're, they're young actually. Um, so reminding them, but. Uh, just had an episode, and the previously on was the Mandalorian killing an assassin, killing an assassin, killing an assassin, killing an assassin, all of whom were trying to go get Grogu. It's like, that really told you exactly what you needed to know, and nothing more. They were really tight, and they still are. They, they're really tight. I let them run, not because I need a reminder, but because this is telling me what's important. This is foreshadowing at its most succinct, and it's it's getting me in the right headspace, reminding me of whatever it is that's going to be relevant. Love it. Uh, great. I almost never, ever want to watch previously ons, but I do for all the Star Wars shows. They're just they're worth the time. So for every show that Spencer and I cover, I always cover the previously on because I feel like they're trying to tell us what to pay attention to in the episode. So it's like important to magnify. So I, I actually watch them pretty closely in the shows that we cover. And holy smokes, some of them are really bad, <laughs> but this one's pretty good. And like, they actually have a soundtrack to the previously on too. They put music to it. Anyway, enough about the previously on, but I thought it was really good. So we start with hearing some mechanical work being done. It's Hu Yang who is uh, trying to uh, fix the ship after the escapades of the last episode. Sabine's in the cockpit trying to get some transmission to Hera. But we learned last episode that communication channels are jammed in the Denab system. And so what I took from that, and I think it bears out in what we see this episode, is that Communication to and from the Denab system cut off. Communication within the Denab system, you can do. I'll be honest, I didn't pick up on that. I thought they finally fixed it. And I was like, how did they fix it? It was it was impossible even when their ship wasn't broken. And the answer was, oh, Harris showed up. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. She's right over there. Yeah, you, you can talk 30 feet away. String, strings on cans can talk for that distance. You're fine. Yep, that you got it. That's it. Oh, so Sabine, yeah. so Sabine goes... Uh, I got you. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Sabine goes outside to consult Ahsoka. She informs her comms are down and their ship is still struggling. Ahsoka says, Hu Yang said their ground base isn't far. The ground base of, you know, whoever they're, they're there to chase for the map. So Ahsoka says, start there. Sabine says that sounds good and takes off. Ahsoka points out the enemy has the map. This is right as Sabine's about to leave, right? She says, the enemy's got the map. And that means... To get, they can get where they want to go. I fear we may face a difficult choice, which is if we can't make the journey to find Ezra, then no one should. Sabine just shakes her head and says, well, I won't come to that. Ahsoka nods and says, yeah, but it might already. Like you can, like I, I can tell in this exchange, Ahsoka's trying to push the issue. She's trying to get a commitment from Sabine that she will prioritize not Thrawn, not returning over everything else, which includes getting Ezra back. And Sabine never commits to that. Yeah, I, in the moment, I, I think this was actually really well done. And you have to remember, I don't have any basis on these characters. I'm just taking them at face value. And if they're a little flat, that's fine. A lot of Jedi Masters are a little flat. Um, I love this exchange because I can 100% understand and sympathize and be there with both of them in this. Where one of them is saying, 
I think this is probably going to happen. And when it happens, I kind of know what your gut response would be. So I need you to intellectually commit now so that when it happens, you're going to make the right choice and you're going to make it quickly. And the other one's saying, are we going to play every would you rather? Are we going to do every terrible thing and make me go through thinking that? It probably won't happen. That's a really unlikely event where I happen to be holding it in my hand, but somebody's going to capture me, so I have a choice to destroy it or not. What would that possibly happen? Why would you torture me to make me think about this in advance? And I could really feel both of those as reasonable stances in the moment. They didn't but, think about. but ultimately, Ahsoka, I, I think it bears out that Ahsoka was right to push the point. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same frustration I've had with the Sabine character since it's been introduced in Star Wars, I continue to have, which is that she's headstrong and doesn't seem to care about any greater purpose other than her own immediate desires and concerns. Like she's concerned for Ezra. That's who she loves. She doesn't place anything above her immediate concern and what she personally wants. And it's clear that Ahsoka has gotten to a point in her life where she is capable of doing that. And uh, yeah, and it just like it's consistent what Sabine does this episode. But it still pisses it? me off. It's consistent love- with her, but it still continues to piss me off. All right. Well, then, then we're getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah, it kind of pissed me off too. And, and anyway, that, so that, makes, that makes me feel a little better. If it's consistent, then then she's kind of just a shitty character. She's kind of just a shitty person. Like she's not so light side. And I don't mean that in a ooh, she's interesting and edgy. It's like no, she's actually just kind of a shitty person. Kind of a little bit, a little bit. Kind of, I think we'll get some pushback on that, but yeah, I, that's where I, I land on it. So Ahsoka stops her and says, can I count on you? She says, you know, I can. Hu Yang comes out, asks Ahsoka if everything's all right. She says, yeah, be careful out there. Um, and I feel like Ahsoka kind of senses something. Uh, Hu Yang starts his work. We get a pan out shot of him. Then we see some other droids watching. Cut to Balin and Morgan Shin comes up and says, Master, we've received word. They've located the Jedi starship. I like that she calls it the Jedi starship. You know, like as soon as, it feels to me like as soon as Balin and Shin caught wind that this was Ahsoka, like everything about the enemy now is Jedi. Like this is the this is a Jedi starship. This is we're chasing the Jedi. We're fighting the Jedi. Uh, I just like that the, the focus on that because that would that would probably track with Balin and what his focus is. He asked how far. Go ahead. Well, what what else would you call her? Because it's not the Republic. It's you could just call it Ahsoka's ship. But I mean, what else would you call it? Besides the I, Jedi. Well, I, how do they know it's not the Republic? Why do they, how do, I mean, did, why did they assume it's not the Republic? Um, they saw somebody on the outside of a ship swinging a lightsaber at them and destroying ships in space with a lightsaber. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that. Gotcha, I gotcha. Well, I, I don't know. That, I mean, I don't know that that necessarily says that the person's Jedi either, uh, because we know, we know Ahsoka's not a Jedi. So, I don't know. Uh, but it, they clearly have decided that this is a Jedi that they are facing and they're, they're, they're going to fight. Yeah. Um, and, and they, and they care a lot about that. I, you know, what was it? End of episode two where he said, it is a shame that we're going to have to kill the Jedi. Like, I don't want to do that. I'll do it if I have to was the underlying, but I don't want to because Jedi are valuable and they're rare and they're not bad. So who Yang starts this work? We get a pan out shot. We already did that. And, um, with Morgan Shin, Balin, they're sitting there, and he asks Shin how far, and she says about a dozen clicks. I guess it, it, in Star Wars universe, clicks is like a half mile, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know, something like that. Some, I, mean, I, think, some I, think in physical, one, I think on Earth it's a half mile. I 
things. Some physical but amount of distance. People who actually know things are going to tell me that I'm wrong and stupid. So sorry about that, everybody. He says, tell them to move in. Morgan says the guards will not delay them long. Balin looks at Shin and says, but you will. Shin walks away. Balin says they should get going soon. Morgan, Morgan asks if there's a note of fear in his voice, and Balin responds, experience. I've, I've shit a lot on the acting in this series so far, and I will continue to, but I think that when these two characters are working together, whoever plays Morgan, whoever plays Balin, these two characters together, or I know who plays Balin, but uh, the, the characters of Balin and Morgan are together, that's the best acting I see on the show. I think you're right, and it's really interesting because Morgan is doing very much the slightly melodramatic villain, uh, charismatic, confident, snarky, but not necessarily clever. That is very common in all the Star Wars villains. It's there in some degree, pretty much. And, you know, his responses are not what I expect. Like, I, I like the yeah. writing here, too, not mm-hmm. just how these actors do it, but the writing's good. Like, we get that. Oh, do I sense fear in you? Oh, you know, that's a very normal villainy thing to do in Star Wars. And he just like, kind of. What of it? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. And it's justified and you probably should have it, too. Yeah, I I think that the key word when you were describing Morgan Elsbeth, charismatic is probably the key word for me. I I want to see more of her. And that's not something I get from every character. No, most recurring Star Wars villains are charismatic. Even, I mean, Dar- Palpatine's number one, well, with a bullet. He had, he had about four no- defining features, but one of those four was charismatic. For sure. Um, and, you know, Darth Vader, why is he so, he, he's, he exudes even in the armor charisma out of every pore. And he only, he doesn't have that many pores, so they're working overtime. Um, about half the pores his, of a normal person. His skincare routine is out of this world. A lot of needles. It does the needle three, work. That's three jokes in one because they're in space, sir. <laughs> what a pro. Then we get the title sequence. I like the title sequence. I like that it's not long. I appreciate yeah, it. Did, I, I hope you laugh at this. After the last episode felt so short, when it cut to black right there, my gut told me, oh, no, fuck the end of the episode. That was it. It was like two minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for a split second, I actually thought the episode was over. <laughs> That's all they were giving us. I actually thought, man, that was a long, cold opening. Like, that was a long time for before we got the title sequence. And and that's really what it was. It was long enough that my brain didn't register that that could have been the opening sequence. Yeah. So it had to be something else. So my brain, again, only for about a half second, but for a half second, I sincerely thought roll credits, and I was very disappointed. So we go back to Hu Yang, and the other droids start coming in. Uh, We kind of see them from from the back. Sabine is in the ship. She's... Packing her stuff up, fiddling with her bag and her blasters. Ahsoka's behind her. Ahsoka watches her, and she searches. As she searches, Ahsoka comes up and grabs the thing Sabine was looking for, and it's like, hey, relax, chill. And she's like, I am relaxed. Like, anybody, anytime somebody fires back at you, I am relaxed really quickly. Like, you're, you're not super relaxed. And she's like, don't worry about me. And, and Ahsoka's like, well, I, I wasn't, but should I be? And Sabine's like, nope. None of this is convincing from Sabine to me, and I don't think it's convincing to Ahsoka either. The problem is that the way Rosario Dawson acts this, she responds the same to people when they are being, when they are lying to her, when they're telling her the truth, when they're angry at her, when they're happy with her. I can't, I can't, I get nothing from her character, but the dialogue tells me that Ahsoka does not trust Sabine in this moment. I, so that doesn't bother me really, the idea. Yeah, that she, I would describe it as unflappable. 
you know, somebody's lying to her. Interesting. It's interesting that you would have said that. Somebody tells you the truth. Interesting. It's interesting that you would have said that. Like she is paying attention and she's reading between the lines and she's just unflappable, which again, not necessarily what I've heard about Ahsoka as like a teenage character or something, but I, I, I'm fine with that. Uh, I can understand not enjoying it, but it's, it's fine. It makes sense. I couldn't decide if I liked this exchange or not. Cause like the one word answers, it was very, it felt stilted and it felt annoying, but it also felt very realistic, which, so, so I kind of accepted it. Cause mm-hmm. I could see an exchange between people with a relationship like this going exactly like this. It was not theatrically satisfying, but they've given us a few things that I haven't thought were very enjoyable theatrically, but that were world building and character building, just quiet moments. And I'll give them kind of a pass on that because I I do like them having those. I feel like maybe they're making a little too dense because this is still a theatrical thing. You know, I don't want to watch them brushing their teeth for 30 minutes, even though they might do that. Um, So I I had mixed feelings on this. So, Everybody who listens to the Mangum Talks podcast channel knows I like like professional wrestling. So I'm going to draw a parallel to professional wrestling here. In professional wrestling, when you're putting on a show, there is an element of entertainment that you're thinking about in the match and the promos and all of that. But then there's an element of realism, too. And there always needs to be a blend of both. Like, I think Dusty Rhodes, who is like a world-class booker, world-class wrestler, said that, like, if it's too realistic, like if, if, if you focus just on being realistic, people will believe it's happening, but they won't buy a ticket to see it. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of what I'm facing here is like the answer of, well, it's not entertaining, but that's how those, those two people would act. It's like, well, okay, I hear that. And I'm hearing it not just from you. I'm hearing it everywhere. It's like, but the show has a responsibility to be entertaining, even, yeah. even if they're trying to be realistic. So I, I don't really give them a pass for these scenes that like, the, and, and I would, I'm right with you in your explanation of this, that it felt stilted, awkward, hard to listen to, not particularly entertaining, but realistic. I will give it that. But the show still has a responsibility to entertain me when it's going for realism. Yeah. I, so I don't have the, the, um, wrestling background, but I think of it as like a stage theater production. Um, you know, that whatever you're doing, you should be like you know, living on stage was a book I read way back in the day. Um, if you have two characters who are folding laundry and having a conversation, they should actually, the actors need to fold the laundry. And if like something folds crooked, they should undo it and redo it. If you're pretending to fold laundry, it will be unrealistic and, it, and it'll be bad. But then again, if you're actually folding laundry, having a conversation, you're probably going to have a two minute pause at some point while you're just folding laundry. You don't want to watch two solid minutes of folding laundry in silence on stage. Like it's okay, but you need those pauses to be like, less than five seconds, even for a long pause. Because people are here to watch the talking and the stuff happening, not to watch people fold laundry on stage. I'd like you to advise Favreau and Filoni on the that um, analogy metaphor thing that you just used there mm-hmm. for when the characters have cups. Can they please start putting water in these cups? It's across the Mandalorian Boba Fett, this series – now that I've said it, you you won't be able to see it. Every time there's a fucking cup where somebody's supposed to be drinking, it's clearly no water in it. Anyway, it drives me crazy. I thought of that when you were talking about how they, they should fold the laundry when they're on stage. Can we please put water in these cups? Yeah. I mean, honestly, a good shows do. Like, there's a big thing where they don't drinking um, alcoholic drinks that they always give them non-alcoholic drinks because you have to take a lot of sips. 
and it adds up over 30 takes or something. But you still have a liquid in there. Like, they've gotten really good at making water of every color in the world just to look like any drink you want it to be. It's always water, but they drink water out of every cup because it's obvious when somebody's pretending to swallow. It, you can't do it normal. It's, anyway. it's something that drives me crazy that they, just, they particularly well, do on these shows. So Ahsoka approaches the subject. Me, I, I didn't know that, and now you cursed me. And the it whole audience, you've made I think it will. Worse. I think it will annoy you all. Yeah, there you go. This is the insight I provide. Make make the viewing experience less enjoyable. Ahsoka approaches the subject of Ezra, says she knows how much it means to Sabine. Sometimes we have to do sometimes we have to do what is right, regardless of our personal feelings. This is Ahsoka talking to Sabine. Sabine asks her if she really believes that. When the stakes are this high, I have to. Again, no emotion from Dawson at all. Nothing coming across. I don't know, but I I like the writing. I like I like the sentiment that Ahsoka's conveying here. Becomes particularly relevant as the episode goes on. Cut to Hu Yang. Seems to have made some progress. He turns around. Seems like he might hear something. He gets attacked. I've been wanting to see Hu Yang fight for a while. It was kind of cool to see him fight, although a little underwhelming. I thought he would do better than he did. Yeah, exactly the same here. Um, I I dislike the idea that maybe his only ability to make noise comes out of his mouth, which is unnecessary. That by covering his mouth, you can muffle him from talking. Oh, uh, stop it. Oh, he stop has, it. These he are can humans. have speakers on every part of his body. He can have These speakers on his legs like a cricket, like a grasshopper. These are humans. I, I want an alarm, an alert going, alert, alert. I'm under attack whenever he's attacked. But, yeah, I, I was. I thought the same thing. Like, this is a sparring robot who's a thousand years old and seven years Four arms. Parts. Four arms. Good Lord. Yeah, four arms, sparring robot, original parts after a thousand years. Like, he should win this. And I guess it's okay because he's fighting against, I mean, probably like an assassin droid or something. Like, they don't send... C-3PO into battle. These are things that should be good at killing, and he's able to hold his own and win, sort of. Um, I, I did I did kind of want a little bit more impressiveness, but he, he held his own. It was okay. And I did think it was very clever, and I did really like the whole if I turn off the lights, they'll come. They'll come. Like, that was, that was actually really clever. And the idea of oh, he made it worse. Like, he would not have made it worse. That means something is seriously wrong. I did like that, too. And Love then she... Soka takes out two, count them two, one, two, one, two lightsabers, two at this point still, and makes short work of the droids. Less than 30 seconds by my count, Ahsoka is able to handle these droids. Hu Yang says, well, that set me back a bit, talking about the progress of the ship. Ahsoka tells him to prioritize the transmitter above all else. She wants Hu Yang to contact General Sindula pronto. Got to happen right now. He takes off to do just that. But he has one request. Stay together. You two always do better that way, in my opinion. Ahsoka just nods and says, we better get moving, Sabine says. Together, soft music plays. I gotta say, this is like a, a scene straight out of the cartoons. Like this is just the, that cheesy sort of like, well, we're gonna do it together. Yeah, look, and I know that they're they're making fun of Fu Yang a little bit in their responses, but like it's still the whole package is cheesy, and it just felt like a scene straight out of Rebels, which I, I'm not sure is necessarily a bad thing, but it's just something I'm noticing. Uh, the, the foreshadowing here that they were going to split up and it was going to cause problems was what? so thick that I hate huh. it. But, I thought but there was no way they'd split up. It shocked Wait, me. Are you, are you serious? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> not, Sorry. Not really serious. I, well, I mean, maybe in Rebels they don't. I mean, you know, you're making it sound like My Little Pony in space where they actually learn that friendship is magic all along. Kind some, of. Some, I mean, it is. I know that Filoni loves to tell everybody that the cartoons, are. it's just, it's just a different medium telling the same story, but it is. Definitely more for children. It's definitely more juvenile. 
So anyway, cut to General Sandula. Somebody walks up to her, calling her down. She says, look, I'm not just going to sit around and wait and do nothing, Lieutenant. He says, you can't leave without authorization. She's like, well, watch me. Watch me do it. And apparently she's going to miss a meeting of some general staff, like the general staff meeting or something. Lieutenant, I got to say, Lieutenant was really portrayed as a dummy, which really aligns with everything we're seeing from Disney about the New Republic. He just seemed because at the end he had they had him doing that nonsense thing of like something make something up make something up make something up. It's like okay, yeah, no, I, I, I got I, it. I, I, I actually dug it. I was fine with it, uh, and, and not even as a oh the Empire you know the Republic is is bad. It was you know some folks are administrators whether or not they're in the military or not, and every like two thirds of the Repu- the New Republic is really new at their job. Emphasis on the word new, like they're. There, there's not a whole lot of really competent leaders who have the Clearly. experience. Well, having experience and skills and not dying in the war is a small group. So you either have new people who didn't fight in the war and are just assholes, or you have people who didn't have any leadership skills or didn't have administrative skills or don't know how to do bureaucracy or don't really know what a general is supposed to be able to do. And they're just trying to do their best and not get in trouble with their boss kind of thing. I was fine with it. It was, it was mildly amusing. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't passing necessarily judgment on if you, you want to burn the new Republican ground. We know this. Well, you, I do. I'm, I'm, a throne, I'm a throne supporter. That is true. That is, that holds here. And I'm actually turning to the dark side too. I actually am going to follow Shin wherever she goes, but that we'll get to that later. I, I think we're agreeing that their portrayal is just, they wanted to portray that like some kind of like, kind of like clueless admin guy is the one that approached her and that you get a lot of that in the new Republic for a lot of reasons. That's a lot of them you just named, which I think make a lot of sense. It's kind of, it's hard to staff a, a fucking galaxy when you just fucking fought this like scorched earth war. I get that. Um, so we see a decent starship, a decent sized starship leaving with four X wings. Our guy Carson is there. Cause apparently this actor who played Mr. Kim on Kim's convenience is now going to be in every single star Wars show. And I got to tell you, no problem with it at all. I'm cool no with it. Write him into everyone. I'm fine I, with it. Are they doing it? Cause we love him. Probably. Are they doing it? Cause they feel bad. Cause he was supposed to have a big part on that show that got canceled. Cause the actress decided that she'd rather be a terrible person than be an actress. Maybe that's it too. I, I, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm still sad that he's not like starring in his own Star Wars. Wait, what? Is that why Mr. K- is Kim's Convenience got canceled? Kim's Convenience? You never seen that show? No, I, I, I'm talking about um, what's her name? The, the 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 wrestling lady from Mandalorian who like exploded into conspiracy. Bigotry. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. Gina Carano. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah. she was gonna be she was gonna apparently star in her own Star Wars show, and he was gonna be like the number two. I heard it was gonna be like. A beat cop procedural crime drama in space, which is everything I want out of Star Wars. So I now am even more mad. And he was going to be like the number two on that show, apparently. So I'll say this as somebody who's online way too much. You got to be a little careful with the they were going to make a Star Wars blah. Because Disney does a lot of putting things in development and not production. Like maybe that you're, you might be right. Like maybe they were going to make that show. But they do a lot of like, well, we're going to do a movie with this guy and then you hear boop that got pulled oh we're gonna do a movie doing that like even now they're planning this like ray movie that like god knows if it'll ever get made they did pull they pull the plug on a lot of shit over at lucasfilm these days yeah i mean fair enough um but in my uh, there's an alternate universe where i got not just a 
we're going to overdo the Law and Order tropes with even a character named Dick Wolf on Mandalorian for one episode in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no, they were actually going to give me like a proceed a, a monster of the week fighting crime in space with Ki- Kim and with what's her name. And, and I, they took it away from me. They, they, in this case, mostly is, is what's your name, but they took it away from me. Gosh, I'm mad. Anyway, yes, put him in everything. Fans of the podcast will remember Jamie's epic intro at the start of that episode three or season three Mandalorian episode where you actually did the Law and Order intro for the Law and Order Mandalorian episode. That was good times. So she counts, she counts them down. They go off into hyperspace. So there they go. They're off. I will say this. You said the thing last time that, that stuck in my head about hyperspace. Cause I was like, Hey, when you're going to like, you're going to be like getting ready to make the jump, like you, you, you can at least show me like some forward movement and you're like, yeah, but those two things aren't really connected. Like it's not just going a lot faster going into hyperspace is like doing a different type of thing. So it would be fine to do it from a standstill spot. But the problem is they don't show it from a standstill spot. Like in this scene, they do show the ships jerking forward really fast. Like it's almost like a zero to 60 thing that they're doing is always been the visual. And like, I hear what you're saying makes sense. And I think you're right. But, like, what I constantly see is, like, oh, they're going from not moving to moving super fast. So, so what I take it as, they are doing motion. And so you, you do see them, like, accelerate infinitely fast. But it's they don't have to get a running start. They usually do. I think that's mostly because they use their – I'm going to accidentally use Star Trek language instead. They use their impulse engines or whatever just to get out of the way of everybody else because um, – it seems very inconsistent what happens if you light speed into something. I, I'm a little fuzzy on that, but they get clear. Haldo maneuver. That's what it's called. Man, I don't even know. Haldo yeah. maneuver. Look, I, I said I don't even know. But um, <laughs> but so, so they're what using their impulse that? engines to get clear, to get in the right position, to angle themselves right. Maybe uh, I'm unclear whether they're like needing to find a path and then they slip into it or whether they just chart the course they want from anywhere but it's you know in star trek they they can go to warp whatever from a standstill they don't have to get a running start they just if they're not in warp they're probably in motion one because they're getting into position for whatever excuse me and two in outer space if you stop moving you start falling towards whatever the closest thing is so if you move even a little bit that's probably enough to keep you in orbit around stuff so you kind of just keep moving Right? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's a I don't think it's an accident that we're talking you, like you're referencing more like Star Trek and like like this show I think one of the big complaints that people have and I think I I'm I'm get, starting to get in this boat is that it's getting a little bit too sci-fi um, especially with the world between worlds um, I would like you to elaborate on that because I feel like Star Wars can't be too sci-fi but maybe we mean different things. I think now's a great time for you to elaborate on this and to get a flag in the sand. Yeah, you, sure. Because it's put all the way down your throat. Maybe yes, we'll find out dude, because it's fantasy. Like you, they do, they're doing too much explaining of the fantastic elements. Like the world between worlds is making the force too real. It's a physical plane of existence that people can go to who are like highly gifted in the force where it is, it is a world of the force that they can go between time and space and like move around. And it's like, no, the force worked the best when it was, Kind of like, I don't know how this shit works. Like, in Star Wars has always worked well when some of the more fantastical elements have been vague. I think when Filoni starts to get off the rails a little bit from the George Lucas storytelling and what I've always enjoyed is when he starts to get a little bit too specific with some of these elements. 
Um, and of course, you know, the rebuttal would be, well, George Lucas came up with midichlorians. I got that. I wish he didn't do that. But the point is, Filoni tends to get a little bit more specific than I want in fantasy about how this shit works. I'd be cool with a little less explanation. And I'd be totally cool with no world between worlds. We're not there yet, I know. But like, I kind of, and this is actually, I'll, I'll give you an example. There's something that happens in this episode that I like that he doesn't explain. Maruk. I like that this fucker was what he was. And that there's not a lot of explanation about it. I don't like when there's there's a hyper like attempt at a hyper specific explanation for these fantastical elements in Star Wars. I'm I'm going to noodle on that because I'm not sure I feel and I accept what you're saying. Like the idea of hard science fiction, soft science fiction, fantasy in space that you think Star Wars works best when it's kind of fantasy in space. Yes. Edging a little bit into soft science fiction, but not at all into hard science fiction. Correct. Um, uh, I, I'm going to noodle on that because I accept any three of those still count as sci-fi, but I, I and I I think you're right that some have it's better and worse in more roles. I am generally inclined to like I like world building a lot. It's why I you know like Brandon Sanderson more than his writing skill would justify because he does good world building and I like that. Um, Shut up, Brandon Sanderson. I like him too. I. I I, I've read lots of fan articles and lots of criticism articles, and the thing is, he his biggest strength is his world building, and I like world building. I like it when they get into the details of her. Why does this work the way it does? What's the backstory? What what is the force? What is a purgle? Tell me how a purgle and a Yoda make a baby, because I'm convinced that they're gender uh, dimorphism of the same species, and I don't want to stop believing that. No, uh, you're, you're, you're clearly not. You're hanging on to it multiple episodes. I, if I keep same gender, it, same 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 species. If I keep saying it, eventually some listener of yours will work for Star Wars in like 30 years and will make it true. So I, I, I'm seeding that early. Um, anyway, I I'm going to noodle on that. That's an interesting idea that it would work better if it were more fantasy in space or soft science fiction. Um, you might be right. I don't know. Cut back to Elsbeth and Balin, and they are looking at the huge, huge hyperspace ship above them. She says that they are almost finished with the calculations, which are having to do with the map. So that apparently the map has to be in place. It's got to be like lit up, and then this droid can do the calculations from there. Balin points out the danger. If they miss the hyperspace jump, whoop, trouble. They would go to the depths of the void, he says. She tells him, look, have a little faith. He's like, I lost that a long time ago. It's interesting you're talking to a fallen Jedi, and you're like, have a little faith. It's kind of a funny interaction because he's like, us, <laughs> faith, I, that's the thing I don't have, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. You, you could have asked for almost anything else. But um, it, it. side note, the title, Fallen Jedi, before getting into it, I loved the title because it was wonderful, told us a bit, but was also super ambiguous. I actually have loved that the word Jedi is singular or plural. So you don't know if you're talking about one or a bunch. That was true or in the fall, last Jedi. Or fall in or fall in. Fall I, I-N-G. Look, at the beginning, I was wondering, which one or more Jedi are the fallen Jedi? And the answer was, all of them. Every single every, one of them. Every, every one. Like, I, named, I named like five different people they could have been talking about, and the answer was yes. Yep. Yeah, all of them. So she opens the map up with her her witchcraft. She's a, a witch of Dathomir, as we talked about in previous episodes. If you didn't join us, that's a... Can, can we talk, though, about how you can't say they're not fantasy in space if they have space witches? Can, can we just... Put a pin on that. Oh, no, no. I'm point. not saying I'm so let's face witches. Yeah. So I'm not saying <laughs> that. So no, I, I'm the show 
as a whole, of course, is still very much fantasy, right? I, I'm saying that the parts I tend to not like are when they start to take particular elements and explain them too much. I'm not saying the whole show is like, oh, well, now now it's basically Star Trek. I mean, I might say that in hyperbole to make a point, but, but I'm, yeah. I'm trying to talk about specific elements they're explaining too much. Yes, we still have space wishes. And we still have Grogo. Let, let, let's say, um, so if they try to explain authoritatively what the space witch deal is, I'll be on your side. Now, if they say somebody's like, oh, that's just the force. You're just like a different Jedi. And she's like, no, I'm not. And they leave it at that, that they are arguing about it. I'm fine with it. But if they try to give a definitive answer of exactly what space witch means and whether or not it is the force definitively, I will be disappointed in them. See, I want even, I want to even having space that, witches. Even having that, that decision making right there, I think you do agree with me because you, you just use the same filter that I described, which is like, I like the, I like the, the wishes of death of me or the way they are. I don't, I don't need hyper explanation for that. The way that they are doing for other elements or attempting to do with other elements. I, so I love, love, love the idea that in world there is an argument and a heresy or something, which I heard this once and I'm just, I don't want to look it up more because I love the idea too much that in world, the characters don't know whether the witches, they can't agree whether the witches are just using the force or it's with yeah. something else. And it, it's just an ongoing argument that they kind of just don't. Talk so what's about fantastic them. about that is that that is true. And like, you'll even see here where she opens the map and Balin looks at it and goes witchcraft like that. There there's even oh, some sorry. of that in the show, but yeah. this, the particularly clever people who have, been force users that we've known have always known the witches of Dathomir are force users. Like Palpatine, wa- Palpatine wanted to eliminate all force users from the from the galaxy except for him and Vader, right? So he put the witches of Dathomir on that list with the Jedi. Like he they, oh. he was hunting them down the same way that he was hunting down the Jedi. Now you you know this a lot better than I do. What I'm going to say is he didn't necessarily know that it's just the force. He knew. It might as well be. And, you know, it was a threat to him. So it, it it wouldn't have even necessarily mattered whether it was just the force or not. Other people would have thought it was. And it was a power similar ish to the force that could be a threat to him. His, so some he, of his dialogue is pretty clear that he thinks they're just force users. He's not omnipotent either, though. No, like, I'm not saying that, but I'm the, saying the, the I think it's probably I know think more it. about this than he does. I'm omnipotent as the viewer. I think that they are they are the force users. Right. So well, I'm operating. She, she says well, it's obvious even. And, and so, she knew about it from the novel, just, the, the novel where they were introduced, which I now know all about because my wife as a kid read it and loved it. She didn't read the whole everything. I wish Spencer wedding, was on because he would the have wedding, uh, the wedding of Han and Leia on which planet. And he, she had to almost marry somebody else. And there were witches in space because I wish. I wish I wish Spencer was here. He probably would remember that Legends book. But yeah, I, I think it. For, I operate from the position that it's it's fairly obvious too. And so what I was saying is that if I'm coming from that position that I believe it, then Palpatine is one of the more like immediately clever people who's just immediately like, no, I stop with all the, the sort of the stuff that you just described, which very much happens in universe. He wouldn't listen to any of it. He was like, nope, they're force users and we're going to kill them. Well, um, and I, and I believe I that Yoda always. I believe that Yoda always thought they were. Um, Relatives of the Force too, because he did a lot of work uh, to establish good relations with the with the Witches of Dathomir. Like they had fairly good relationships, at least in Legends, they did. Um, like it, it, like the Jedi never was like hunting them down or anything the way that Palpatine did. He, they had like relatively good relationships with them. But um, okay, cut to the hyperspace coordinates being calculated by the droid. Cut to Ahsoka running. We see Sabine get stopped by Shin. Hey Jamie, how's Shin looking this episode? 
Uh, good as always. Got to say. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't noticed. So she says going somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that's good, good married man who, whose wife's in the room as he podcasts. Good man. <laughs> no, I will readily admit that Shin's, Shin's very attractive. I think that the, uh, I was going for a, a Mangum Talks joke there. Uh, Spencer always has a crush, one crush per episode, right? Or series, one crush per series. And so when that character comes on, I always ask, Hey, Spencer, how's so and so looking? And he goes, pretty good. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't notice. Couldn't tell. It's just like an ongoing joke. Uh, um, me, me and the robot. Putting it out there, uh, forearms, man. Mm. So she says, "Going somewhere," and Maruk is there with the uh, them as well. And Ahsoka pulls out a single lightsaber, one, one. I I, I, I wanted you to elaborate a lot on the lightsaber. I don't know. That's why I was making a fit about the fact she was using two earlier, one now, and one with Balin. Couldn't tell you. And I scoured many like YouTube review shows of like the most popular Star Wars YouTube reviewers and like Star Wars Theory and Screen Crush and all these guys that get a million views. None of them knew either. Like nobody knows why she was just using one other than that. The only theory I, I really heard that makes like 30 percent sense to me is that she wanted one arm free to grab the map with. I don't know. Like, that might explain it when she's fighting Balin, but not here. So so I. One, she doesn't, well, yes, the odds that they had the map here in the woods are about zero. I don't buy that at all. Um, especially when, can, can we take a quick moment? And when they walk up, Shin, like, with one leg up on the rock, like, oh, fancy meeting you here. As I saunter in the woods awkwardly. I was just doing my stretching. Yeah, yeah, she, well, very, I think. Very, very silly. Very, I think they know well, what they got there. They're just, they're, they're giving her scenes and poses. Well. So I, I'm trying to give an in-world justification, which, you know, I do that. I, I, I try to do that. And I, the in-world justification for her awkward pose there is that that's her attempt at villain charisma. She's doing it. She, she's like, all right, all right, they're coming. Okay, get ready. And it's not get ready like hide behind a bush. It's like, I'm going to believe that now. Stand menacingly to intimidate them yep. and maybe just based up in their tracks. Because they You don't, you don't always convince me, but you have convinced me now. I, that is my in-head canon yeah. now. They were sent to slow them down. Like, that's the weird thing. It didn't say you'll stop them. It was you'll slow them down. Like, they kind of were sent to lose. I don't know. I like the idea that Shen is has, views herself as this very villainous, like, I, I'm like – the the charismatic villain who's going to take out the Jedi, like because that aligns with what I where I think this is going. I don't I think that she will kill Balin before the season is out. I think we get some of that tension immediately here in this episode with how he treats Sabine. Like I love that. I love that she's she's like basically considers herself a dark side force user, and Balin very much is still in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I think that's that's pretty good. We'll we'll see. It, I do. I like the idea that they've um, not doubled down, but they're iterating on the Ben Solo. I'm edgy. No, you're not. Get that silly thing off your face. I, I like that they're kind of iterating on that because that's that's a really reasonable thing. A lot of people, and this is true in the real world, both in you know day to day life, but also like in wartime, a lot of people will posture a lot of toughness that they don't feel, kind of to fake it until they make it, kind of thing. A lot of people do that. And so showing that is really interesting. I like it a lot. As long as it doesn't, if they do it too much or too repetitively or in the same way, I'll get bored. But so far, it's still kind of fresh and, and feels um, untreaded ground. Yeah, I'd like you to just I just like the record to state that when I take periodic shots at the sequel movies, which I will continue doing, I'm never talking about the character of Ben Solo. I like that character. I thought it was done well, acted well, written well. 
interesting the whole time. Never talking about that character. Fair enough. Because, yeah, I, I questioned their casting. I questioned almost everything about him for about the first movie. And about movie two is when I was like, oh, everything I didn't like was on purpose and was perfect. Yeah, it's so, great. Yeah, anyway. All right. Cease to be shooting his shin. But, uh, but cuter. So there you go. <laughs> Multiple blasters causing Shin a little bit of trouble. The, the, the two blasters was causing Shin trouble. I thought back to the conversation that me, you and Spencer had where you talked about the, the blaster that fired three shots at one time, how that would that would cause the Jedi problems in video games. Like that's kind of what Sabine's doing here a little bit. And it is causing Shin problems. She, she should get a third arm, a robot arm. That would do great. She could just win this fight with three at the same time. Shin takes a real shot at her head. I mean, a real like I'm going to fucking cut your face off with this lightsaber shot. But Sabine barely gets up and jumps backwards. Um, like kind of takes a flat back bump, like in wrestling where you like, you're standing full position and you just fall straight on your back. That's kind of what Sabine does there to avoid that shot. Sabine then pulls the lightsaber out, cut to Ahsoka and Maruk or Merrick, Merrick or Maruk. I don't know. Uh, I've only seen it spelled. They don't ever say the name in the show. Uh, Ahsoka started, Ahsoka starting to show a little emotion here in the fighting. I'd like to say that Dawson, does a little bit better with the Ahsoka character, in my humble opinion, when she's fighting, because I get a little bit more range. When she's talking, I get nothing. It's just flat as fuck. But she does kind of go up and down during the fights. So, so I, coming not with any baggage on the character, that tells me a lot about the character. Again, I'm making excuses, but I, I'm taking that at face value. I'm saying that, assuming that they're doing that on purpose. And that means she is in a lot of control, and she feels like she has to be in control. And when she has the presence of mind, she's a very unflappable and in-control person. But when backs against the wall, when push comes to shove, when she's really distracted, that veneer of perfection goes away. And she's still good and in control, but a lot less. Because she's because it doesn't come naturally. She's forcing all of the coldness because she feels like she has to. Until she can't. And again, maybe I'm giving too much credit, but that explains it to me. And is what it is the only thing that comes to my mind when I see it. And I buy that. And that is an interesting character. That's a realistic fight. And I'm not buying their ticket to the wrestling match. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It's, I, I, that's the problem I have with this is that like when people give me the explanation for why, is, why she's acting it that way, I go, yep, got it. Makes sense. A Jedi master would do that. Somebody so, who went, who stayed, who spent time in the world within worlds would do that. Like I, I got it. I just don't want to watch it. So here, here's actually why I find it interesting, and I hope that I'm right on this, because this is not me trying to convince you you should like it more. This is me telling you why I'm optimistic. Um, take that character I just described, you know, which is kind of my fan theory over what's going on in her head. That can lead to some really interesting places where one side or the other really wins, and probably the, you know, coming to terms with she's not perfect and she can be more emotional other times is probably where they would take it because it's more interesting. Um but maybe, you know, having to overcome the anger and frustration and lack of control and, you know, dark side influence or something that comes out in her fighting, maybe that'll be a plot point. Either one of those are kind of interesting plot points. See, you, you've hit on something. I've got a hope. I've got, I've got a hope. I got a new hope. That <laughs> I've got a new hope that in the next episode, Annika's going to look at her and go, Snips, where, where, what happened to you? Where is that girl that I was I was teaching? Where is my apprentice? I need that fucking fire from you, Rocco. Come on, Rocky, get back in there, fight him, go, Rocky, go. And then she gets back out of the world within worlds, and she's all spit and vinegar, and she's ready to fucking kill people again in the old Ahsoka way. And then we get that cool contrast 
that would be fantastic. I hope that happens. And maybe, um, I mean, maybe even later, like after the fight, like a minor whatever would be appropriate for her breakdown where she explains, like, it was – I've been alone a long time. Sure. That'd be it awesome. So hard. There's I fear no we're going to get out of that. I fear yeah. we're not going to get that. But if we do get something like that, then I will, I will, I will, I will say, got it. And all the first four episodes made sense and I'm with you. But my worry is it's just going to continue and I'm just not going to like watching it. Oh, but anyway, yeah. back to her, her and the, her and Maruk fighting and kind of Sabine and Shin and Shin is again getting the best of her. I mean, uh, Sabine, I think is fighting with a little bit more, um, energy here and, and is a little bit more prepared for the fight, but Shin is a better fighter than Sabine. That is yes. now demonstrably true. Cut to Maruk. He does the wind lightsaber windmill thing that the uh, Inquisitors do. And uh, I think the first time we saw this was maybe like episode five or six of Rebels or something when the Grand Inquisitor does it. All the Inquisitors do this. And Ahsoka just watches it, runs through it, and runs him through with a lightsaber at the same time. It's fucking dope. So I loved everything about this because it was it wasn't foreshadowed, but the problem of these spinning blades was immediately apparent to me because he held it on and he spun it. I'm like, that's intimidating. That but. fear you. <laughs> if you're if you're susceptible to fear, you're feeling the fear right now, and it does a great job of creating an area that they can't get through. But you can't stab me with that anymore because if you tried, the other end's gonna kill you. You can't point it at all. All you can do is kind of make a sphere around yourself of lightsabers. So it's it can be really effective for, like, blocking and making chaos, but it's almost like a really fast uh, scythe, like using that as a weapon and just spinning that around. Like, that's unpredictable. That's terrifying, but it's not necessarily effective. Um, and then... And then it's not effective. And then she's just like... Uh, that yeah, it gets I, see you. The pen, I see the pendulum swimming, swinging. I can just dodge to the left and. Yeah. And so then, uh, you, Hey, you ready for a joke? I love one. Uh, so then everyone's Maruk theory goes up in dust. You get it? Cause he had theories about it and then he's, he actually is dust. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't make that one up. That one's all over the internet. Yeah. Uh, Maruk well, basically did, evaporates into green dust. Didn't you hear my theory? What? As a throwback to episode five uh, of the movies, it wasn't going to be that this was uh, uh, Ahsoka's mom, but this was going to be Ahsoka. Uh, or this wasn't Ahsoka's dad. Oh, crap, I messed up my idea. Um, it was, was not going to be Ahsoka's father. This was going to be Ahsoka's mummy. Mummy. Got it. Mummy. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, I, I, okay. Hey, viewers, comment below whose joke was better and also give me credit for not messing my joke up. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll cut it in post. Uh, I, I really, I'm not going to do that. So the, uh, <laughs> when the, uh, <laughs> but, but I will say this, this might not be something that you would know. Um, but the green dust is, um, at, so in, when we see the witches of Dathomir in the Clone Wars, and I, I think we see them in Rebels, but I can't remember. Every time they do their force magic, this green dust is around. Like it's very, it's something that we see with them and is a part of, it very much, I think, it's ever present enough in the animated series that when Maruk go, explodes in dust, the viewer, I believe, is supposed to know. Okay, he was he was witch magic from Elsbeth, and it, I it, I actually heard your voice in my head. I heard you going, "It's space witch. It's just a space witch." Like, don't think about it too much. 
is Space Witch. She's got Space Witch powers, and she created this entity here who acted like an Inquisitor, but was really just a formation of Space Witch power. So I I didn't know that, and now I'm choosing to believe that the green dust is freeze-dried pure metachlorians. Because if they have a physical presence, you got to be able to you snort metachlorians, apparently. Had to get them from Grogu if they're that concentrated. I know. Um, so, yeah, I, I am kind of curious whether it was just a suit full of dust and energy or whether it was a, like, reanimated person. There are bones in there, but the thing giving them life force was witch power. Um, or whether it's – I kind of assumed this is some species that's mostly – gas and energy or something you know uh, hellboy had something like that who like could just move by moving gas and liquids and stuff um interesting though more more interesting than what was that thing which is kind of cool like i i'm okay if they never explain it and i'm okay if they do i'm okay either way i kind of into but I, I think it, it will it will definitely have a connection to the witches of dathomir that green okay. dust was that was not an that was not a, a coincidence freeze-dried metachlorians. We've addressed this. It's done. Um, Shin's reaction, though, it was like her brother just got killed. Like, her reaction of, I don't know whether this is real, or these people are, she's really better than I thought she was. It seemed like loss and denial and fury. I felt like Shin never had any preconceptions that she could go at Ahsoka herself and never planned to fight Ahsoka herself. And when Maruk fell, she thought, oh, fucking A. Now, like, I, I'm going to have to deal with Ahsoka, and I'm not prepared to do that or equipped to do that. So there was real fear. Okay. That that might have been it. So it was more of, like, uh, feeling unprepared, fear. It, it might have been more fear than fury. It was hard to read her uh, her, her face, which I'm okay with that. But um, She's mysterious. Just fear. She's very mysterious. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> very mysterious, Jimmy. Uh, so then Sabine gets a bright idea to do exactly the opposite of what Hu Yang recommended. She sends Ahsoka off, so they split up. Shin says, uh, you'll regret this decision, looking at Sabine, and goes at her hard. I've got my notes here, uh, highly technical. Hold on, let me see if I can read the fine print. Oh, yeah, it says Shin is my favorite. That's what it says. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, back to yes. Elspeth. But the best move that our Mandalorian has ever had was the whole throwing your hand out to make her think that something forcefully is going to happen. Nothing happens. It's just a bluff. And then I love that you have no power. And then I, my power is made of explosions, motherfucker. Like, boom. Yeah, well, that, I think that, yeah, I think that's coming here. But, yeah, that you're right. That was a good thing. So, good to have Elizabeth. She says she's going to re- get ready for departure. She says Balin tells Balin to protect the map, and she'll send for him when the ship is ready. You gotta get Back to Ahsoka. Everyone's locked in, or the Stargate won't fire. Back to Ahsoka, who walks up to the map situation. <laughs> she sees no one there, and she walks around a bit, and then she sees something sitting on the rock. Anakin spoke highly of you. Interesting. He never mentioned you. Now, nah, ooh, little little shot there. <laughs> uh, Balin says that everyone in the Order knew Anakin Skywalker. Few would live to see what he became. Surely that must leave a mark. Is that why you walked away? Is that why you abandoned him? So he goes right in to Ahsoka to the psychology. And I got a question for you here. Do you think he was doing this to gain an edge on the fight, or did you think – he had it in his head that he could somehow turn her or get her as an ally. Edge in the fight, purely. Because yeah. he, well, so I'm not sure. I took him as actually very pretentious in a very kind of annoying way that I, 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 I've enjoyed his character so far enough that I almost would say I have a high opinion of him. But in this exchange with her, 
I really just had to roll my eyes. Like the whole, oh, how inevitable do we have to lightsaber fight? Motherfucker, you're trying to start a genocidal war. Why he's not. All you want. He's he, not he, throwing, well, throwing his. He, he can't even. He says, well, I'm not. But, yeah, I'm going to make it happen. Like, I'm just the first domino. It's like, okay, fine. You can make that distinction if you want. But you literally know that you are going to cause genocidal war. So you've got the violence. And then yeah, if she walks up, you're going to cut her down. Like, she can't just walk up and take it. You're the one forcing violence here. Oh, how inevitable that you have to, like, draw your thing. You're so violent. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, man, I don't know whether that's still more head games or whether you're really that into your own bullshit or you that pretentious. Um, I couldn't tell. But it was that that one line irritated the hell out of me. Um he says the only reason he's there is to secure the future. And I put my, my, my notes, what about money? I thought you were a mercenary. Uh, she says, for you, um, he says, something far greater. She calls that ambitious, and he says it's necessary. She walks up closer. He asks him, she asks him if he's starting another, if starting another war is necessary. He says, I'm not starting another war, but Thrawn will. It's an unfortunate evil that speaks to a greater truth one must destroy in order to create. She just looks at him and pulls out a lightsaber. He grabs his as well. He says, how inevitable. I, I did like the parallel to the sentiment that he was conveying there of one must destroy in order to create. And Ahsoka, when she was talking to Sabine earlier in the episode, I'm basically saying you, sometimes you have to like do things you don't want to do in order to accomplish a greater good. Like I think there's a, there's a parallel sentiment there they were going for in the writing. Maybe. Uh, honestly, I took this, and when she just pulls out the lightsaber, to, I, I took it as, have you ever heard of the phrase sea lioning, where somebody no, is like engaged no. in bad faith debate just to waste somebody's time? I think I think when he said, oh, you, the platitude of you have to destroy to create, and that's why I'm going to bring back the empire in particular to start a genocidal war. I think that's when she's like, oh, okay, we're, we're not having an actual conversation. There's no chance of me convincing you to not do this. Well, he's probably wasting he, my time until I well, he, until, he, until it's violence. He might be, but he's he's hitting on a kernel of truth that I would think all imperial sympath, sympathizers are, are are conveying, which is that as bad as the empire was, it was better than this horseshit we've got now. And that's what you're going to hear over and over again from the throne supporters: is that yes, the empire had problems; they did things you shouldn't have done, et cetera, et cetera. But there was order; they built things up. There was economic prosperity in certain areas. I mean, whatever the argument is, that's their argument. So. He might have been arguing in bad faith here, but he was conveying an argument that you're going to hear throughout the galaxy. So, yes, I'm, I'm not saying that people didn't believe it. When I say he didn't believe it, I'm not even he saying might not. Yeah, he might. But, but at best, it's a platitude or a truism. You got to, you might as well just say, you got to crack some eggs to make an omelet. It's like, oh, okay, we're not actually having a conversation here. You're just going to like spout talking points and say stuff that doesn't make much sense and not engage with the reality of what you're doing. There so she was. Anyway, she, I think I think I think he has proven that he is smart, clever, knows her well, but it's not actually gonna. No fruitful conversation will happen. She's like, "All right, fine, we'll lightsaber this." So I enjoyed the lightsaber fight here that we get between the two of them. It takes a long time to get going. It takes about thirty seconds for them to get started. And one of the things that gets talked about a lot on the animated shows that I'm, I'm not sure they ever really address directly in the live action stuff, maybe a little bit Mandalorian, is that the, the lightsabers have different settings. And you can make them longer or shorter based on the setting. And the longer you make them, the more difficult and heavy they are to wield. And so, like, Balin has his on the highest setting, which is why when you see him fighting, it's big. Like, it's almost like he has, like, a great sword. And he's making these big sweeping cuts. And when it hits Ahsoka, it takes a lot of her strength to hold back the shots. is because he has his lightsaber geared way up. And that's how 
That's his fighting style. Hers, hers is different. Yeah. So I, I maybe I, I'm not. I was. I'm unclear how much you can talk to this. For Spencer's the one to talk about this. But like the different lightsaber fighting styles, because I remember y'all exa- going off in length of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about that because I, I'm now recognizing, if not the specific ones, a few characteristics of some of them. You know, the, the, the different stances that they have, the, the over their head stance that Anakin always did so much that she used to cut through smoke and mirrors guy. Um, the, I'm going to knife fight you with my sword backwards. That was new to me. And the, you know, what he was doing, he looked like a paladin. He looked like, you know, a knight templar or something. Um, that I didn't really recognize either. That very, as you said, big, wide, strong, long sword centered. I actually loved, it took a little while to get into this, as they were both kind of subtly shifting their stances as like, oh, oh, you, it, it felt, I, I think at the time I quoted Princess Bride, it's like, ah, I see you're a master of this technique, but did you know I'm a master of this technique? Oh, oh, okay, well, that is the counter, but did you know I can do this one in, like, samurai fighting or something? Yeah, so Ahsoka uses Form 5, which is Shen, uh, Shin and Jimso, like it's like that's the name, but I I I call them the the forms. It's form five. That's what Anakin always used. Ahsoka learned it, and it's like, uh, let's see if I can get a, a good description here for you. Uh, it uses a reverse grip, um, which is why Ahsoka Tano favored it. Um, it uses a lot of solid blocks, parries, stronger counterattacks, and I think what our guy Balin was using was the same lightsaber form as Yoda, I think. I think he was using Ataru, which it, it uses Ataru. This kind of gets to your thought about how Yoda even moved his body around. Ataru uses the force during the fight as well. So it's using the force to either jump or to give you more strength in your – it's not just your physical moving it around. You're also wielding the force as you're fighting in Ataru, which I think he was doing with that heavy set – on the on his on his blade because he's got like the, the highest setting on the blade. It's described as heavy and difficult to wield, but he can still wield it extremely fast in certain situations. And I thought he was using Ataru to like use the force to wield that, which is form four. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean the the information about the different lightsaber fighting styles is online and it's really extensive. I mean they've mapped. Every Jedi that you've seen, everybody you've seen wield a lightsaber in live action to one of the forms. And we'll, you can read all through, you know, why they use the different forms like Ataru, right? Like needing to use the force as you're fighting. Of course, Yoda, who's 900 fucking years old, would need to use that, right? Makes sense. Um, same kind of deal with form five, which is like really aggressive, but takes a lot of risk in the fighting that Anakin would use that. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's that's a little bit about it, but there's a lot more that you can go into. I liked their lightsaber fight a lot. Mm-hmm. If anything, if anything, I was surprised. I wanted, that, I, wanted I, I wanted it longer, but I was also surprised that he was as much of a challenge for Ahsoka as he ended up being. I did not expect that. Just in how the, the characters had been presented, I thought Ahsoka would be able to handle Balin. Mm. I I actually was expecting. He seemed aware that there was risk involved but he seemed like somebody who was making note of that because there's usually no risk involved for him because he's just that good and being aware of how being good at judging your opponent is part of being good at this so the fact that he was able to tell that she was close to his equal give or take 
that that already is showing more strength and knowledge on his part. Mm, fair so, point. Out. I like that. Um, yeah, I that's expect, a good point. I expected him to win, actually. I mean, kind of did. He did. Yeah, back to Sabine and Shin. Sabine's on the ground or back foot. Shin's on the offensive. When Sabine falls, she tries to use the force or demonstrates as if she's trying to use the force. Shin braces for it, but nothing happens. Shin looks at her and says, you have no power. I think she's doing her best Darth Vader impression there. Sabine then fires a dart at her, knocking uh, the, like a laser dart, uh, knocking Shin's lightsaber out of her hand. Mandalorians always have power. This is Mandalorian power, though I might have, I didn't yell that. When that happened, I actually yelled, pocket sand! And I'm that that makes people laugh because it was really fun to me. That's kind of what it was. Uh, and then we get this line from Balin. Your legacy, like your master's, is one of death and destruction. I think here, regardless of what you think about the earlier part of the conversation, and I'm mm-hmm. increasingly thinking you are right about that, he clearly here is just trying to get in her head. Like he's he's, he's uh, aligning Ahsoka with Anakin, saying she's the same. Like this is very much frustrating an attempt to frustrate and get in Ahsoka's head, I think. So I actually, interestingly, don't tell me you're flipping. I just fucking agree. Unbelievable. I think that's, so I think he has beef against the Jedi. He left on purpose. He has no faith in them. He thinks that they were bad in some ways. He thinks that they have a lot good. You know, he seems to value Jedi as, you know, it's a waste to kill them. And, you know, there's not many left. And he, yeah, he doesn't, seem to think he's Sith or whatever, but uh, he I would buy it that he's really mad at the Jedi for something, that he thinks they caused the war, or that they didn't do what they were supposed to do or something, that it's because of them that things had to escalate. You know, the people who say that Batman's the reason the Joker exists, so he's Well, Balin, Balin left Balin escaped the Jedi Temple the night Anakin killed the younglings. So maybe he's got a resentment against Anakin for killing younglings. He, I mean, he saw it firsthand. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So that makes a little bit of sense. Um, I actually think this is him tipping his hand of, I hate you. I think you're terrible. And I think that it's your fault. I, mean, I think you're the villain. And maybe he's exaggerating it, but hyperbole. But I think he's kind of airing his grievances a little bit. I think equating Ahsoka to Anakin so often is bullshit he knows it's bullshit i think he's doing it to frustrate her that's just my guess but we don't we don't know um back to sabine uh shin drops a smoke bomb and leaves <laughs> question for you jamie smoke bombs wouldn't work on jedi right because they'd be able to sense where you went um i mean i don't think jedi actually have jedi still use their eyes sometimes so um yeah but like i mean you couldn't use a smoke bomb with fucking mace windu he would be able to figure out which way in the woods you went I mean, you still have ears. You can follow somebody in the woods by just listening to where they're crunching up the leaves. Right. You could, but also, I, <laughs> he so, also has a skill that would allow him to do that. So the force clearly can do a lot and different people have different strengths, but there's certain things that make it easier. Like it is easier if you can see what you're working with or if you can point at it. You don't have people in underground bunkers pulling ships out of the sky. You have them on the surface looking at the ship, pulling it out of the sky. Um, maybe they close their eyes, but they, you know, have line of sight. Things like that help. Um, they still do fight with their eyes open. Like all that, they, all they, that's they, true. All that's true. The only point I'm making is that like we're getting more reinforcement that she, that uh, Sabine has like zero connection oh. to the Force. Oh yeah, no, no, she she has she because has, like if she had there there then if she couldn't see if she couldn't hear she could have relied on this other ability, but she has none of that. So like she's just looking around like well I have no idea where the fuck shit went. 
I still love the idea of anybody can be a Jedi, even if you can't use the Force. I'm still so curious what they're going to do with it. I that. have a real problem with that. Real problem with it. Well, like, I, I'm not sure if I agree with it, but I love that they're trying. I love, I love that there's a character in World who's like, moving rocks is the least important part of being a Jedi. If you can do everything else and can't move rocks, then you're as good as any Jedi. You're going to be well, really disappointed. Try. You're going to be really disappointed because we're going to get the scene. Where that we just got the false one here. This was strike one, but she will eventually make contact with this scene where she falls down and she, her life's just about to end, and she can tap into the force in that moment. You're gonna get that. You're gonna get it. You're gonna get it, and you're gonna be disappointed because I I think I know what you're saying, which is like a Jedi that doesn't do that thing but still does everything else is kind of an interesting narrative. Like that's an interesting thing to explore. I agree with, but I don't think they're doing that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I'm the one who loved at least most of episode eight so much because they were getting the it doesn't matter who your parents are and who your family are. If you're the chosen one and what's in your blood, it matters like anyone could be the chosen one. Like that idea of anyone could be a Jedi, regardless of their midichlorian count. I love I love that someone in world's exploring it and I'm curious how it'll go. Such tension. Such yep. tension in the Star Wars storytellers in that concept, right? Because, like, I feel like there's a number of Star Wars storytellers that, like, basically are establishing that, like, no, you kind of have to be born with this, like, you know, talent, skill, trait. Some you have to be the blessed one. Yeah, it's yeah. Some time. people are. And then there's other people who tell the And there's other people who tell the story that, like, really want to focus on anybody can do this. And, like, it's not just, we're not just following the galaxy's 1%, right? Um, I thought that the, the tension in that two storytelling elements was like the most contrasted contrasted between um what was it episode eight and nine yep uh with with ray's lineage and i actually thought like i was really fucking disappointed when they were like oh oh no she's actually palpatine's granddaughter i'm like god damn it fucking flip a table like i loved that she could have just been anyone yeah i i uh yeah I mean, you know, we, we've never reviewed the sequels yet. I haven't made you say why each of the sequels is the best movie in the series. But um, that part is what makes me love 8, pretty much. But every every single word out of Luke Skywalker's mouth. I loved 8, eight too. I, I, thought eight was, I thought 8 was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, anyway, Cut to Elizabeth, who's getting the news that the calculations had stopped. Bailing yells at Ahsoka. Ahsoka's grabbed the, the map at this point. Um, oh, and at one point she does the little foot on the rock, and then Ahsoka does this in the fighting, which was so cool because it's a callback to what she used to do a lot in the animated series. She's doing the front kicks, the kangaroo kicks. She did those a lot when she would fight in the animated series. Like, she'd be fighting, and then you'd see her, like, one leg just, boop, like, pop you right in the chest and kick you back. She did that to Balin during the fight, which was cool. Anyway, she's grabbed the map. Balin yells, that was unwise, the lightsaber clash. And now he's got her backing up. She looks up. She sees Shin, I think, in that moment. She thinks that maybe Sabine was injured, hurt, dead, something. Balin yells for Shin to get the map. Ahsoka seems to think that this means, you know, Sabine's dead. So she says, Sabine, she then, in a not very Jedi-like move, uh, grabs Shin with the Force and chucks her ass against the rock. And look, you're not going to find a bigger Shin fan than me. I'm number one on the fucking fan bus for Shin. I'm in the front row, okay? Big Shin fan over here. But it was kind of cool to see just how different their abilities were like when yep. when it when push came to shove ahsoka could literally pick her up and toss her against a rock yep D- does interesting point why did she not do that when they when they were fighting why did she run off if she could have done it then in the woods 
Because it's, I think, because my interpretation, sorry to cut you off, but my interpretation is that she only did that because she was, she was tapping into something she didn't want to tap into. Like that was almost like, like a dark side move to do that. Like, yeah, she was not into that. That that, that only happened because she was like at a tipping point. (laughs) Tipping over, tipping falling. So so I think you're right. I think it, it, it seems to be very canon that even Jedi, use it seems like a lot of time people are not i'm only using the dark side or only using the light side it's like they dip a little bit or they fuel you know their anger is clouding them well that's okay the dark side like oh you you got stronger than fight because you lost your focus and got mad okay it's a little bit of dark side in there um it, it is a little there is a grayer area it's just a slippery slope kind of thing but that would that definitely seemed like she thinks her padawan got murdered and so She's not snapping next, but she's Close. powered up powered up due to loss, rage, anger, hatred. And she's powered up and uses it. Balin sees this and again goes on the offensive with Ahsoka, pushing her farther and farther back over a rocky cliff. She tries to use the force to hold him back. He says it didn't need to come to this, but you know no other way. So um when Ahsoka is when she's holding and then she uses the force to try to like continue like push her lightsaber more, like forward. Like that's her slipping in to the form style that Yoda used because Yoda was not just using his arm. He was using the force too. So like that's her slipping. And and the reason and I, what I loved about it is that it looked kind of like awkward and weird. Like it looked like something that she does as a last resort and it's not the fighting style that she, she uses. So it would, it would make sense that like her fighting style has failed her. She's about to lose. And so she is like, throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And she slipped into another form style. Yeah. And I, so without knowing the form style stuff, I still like that. I think I talked about this on another episode. I'm not, I don't know sword fighting myself, but I've watched some YouTube videos. Like I've seen stuff and there were a lot of old like manuals and books and training and styles and everything like throughout time, grabbing your own blade to be able to push with two hands was a thing you would do a lot. Be, especially if you had a gauntleted hand. But even if you didn't, sometimes it's better to grab your sharp but not razor sharp sword rather than lose. And you can't do that with a lightsaber because your hand will get chopped off. But you can grab the lightsaber's heft with the force and push that way. And and so I, I, I love when I see them do that because it is a, you know, a, a reference to real sword fighting, how one wins a sword fight and how one defends in a sword fight, but shifted for what you would have to do if you can't touch your own sword. Love it. So I went to Dragon Con, because and you know this, everybody listening knows this, because the last podcast I recorded from Dragon Con. So the night that you and I did the last podcast, which was a week ago, it was Saturday night, I left the podcast from you in great spirits. I went to a party called The Last Party on Alderaan, <clears throat> which was a big blowout like dance party that was Star Wars themed, and it was like, Everything I've ever wanted. It was like fucking Star Wars images on the walls as dance being played. Anyway, instead of a mosh pit, they just had a big circle of people that you would think is a mosh pit where people were just sword fighting. <laughs> their lightsabers, their, their lightsabers and they were doing sword fighting at the party. Um, and I, I noticed that like people who were like really into the cosplay and really into Star Wars had, had clearly taken time to learn how to fucking sword fight or that or they just had done that in the past. Maybe like in high school or something. Yeah. But I was amazed, I was kind of interested in how how like good these people were at it. So it's clear that like people dig into it. Like one of the the biggest um, 
YouTube Star Wars reviewer guy is his name Star Wars Theory. He is so into the different form styles. And I have I've read that like the different the seven different like Jedi lightsaber form styles could actually be mapped to like real world like uh sword fighting skills or whatever. L- f- lancing, fencing skills, whatever you want to call it. Fencing skills. Um yeah. I don't know, pretty cool. It's it's clearly something that people who are into Star Wars have gone into deep dives on. So we hear stop and it's Sabine and she's got the map. So it tells her to destroy it. But guess what, Jamie? Sabine what? does not destroy it. Oh my goodness. I'm so surprised. You, you didn't see that coming with all the dialogue earlier in the episode? Oh my goodness. And she doesn't do it. The thing that she, she tries to hold it hostage me? as if, as if that's going to do trust it. Me? She, she sticks the blaster up to it. Like I'll do it. Ah, uh, you see, I'll, I'll, I'll off him. I'll really do it. I'll say I won't. Say I won't. Balin basically says, "You won't. You won't." <laughs> That's basically what happens. Anyway, this whole the whole scene plays out basically like you would expect it to. Um, oh. Except, except the only thing in there that I did not expect is that Ahsoka goes tumbling off the side of the fucking cliff. That part surprised me. I did not see that coming. But the interaction with Balin and Sabine very much made sense. Where he immediately started. First off, he took a second to read her thoughts, which is a dark side move. So he's clearly practicing the dark side of the force some, which is an answer for us, right? Because we, we kind of were unsure where he was at with his force using and, and, and like where he's drawing his power. Clearly uses a dark side tactic here and reads her mind, reads that she's very concerned about her friend Ezra, reads uh, some of her thoughts about her family, family dying on Mandalore, Ahsoka's whole relationship with that event. And he plays on it, plays to her, emotions and in a very Sabine like move, she picks Ezra over the galaxy and hands the fucking thing over to him and apparently is going with him willingly on this trip. So she's going to go to this other galaxy too, which is kind of interesting. So, so she's our I, POV, I think. Like I, I can see how in that moment, yeah, the fact that she didn't shoot right, right away, like when Ahsoka told her to, which I didn't expect her to, but once with Ahsoka gone, like she is playing out. Okay. Either I shoot this thing and they probably don't get to go, but I get killed and Ezra is lost forever. So I'm dead and Ezra's dead. That's bad. Um, but you know, but the map's gone. The, yeah, the, the map's gone. So Ezra will never come back and I'm going to get killed. So, and Thrawn. Come on. So, but the thing is, so she, she hates Thrawn, but, but in a very, you know, we, we, we win by saving what we love kind of moment. Um, if I, if Thrawn's gone, but, Ezra's gone and I'm gone and Ahsoka's gone. That's a loss. I don't care. I'm not willing to sacrifice me and Ahsoka and Ezra to beat Thrawn. I'd rather hope, a new hope, that it will all turn out okay. As long as there's life, there's hope. Hope springs eternal. You know, I can't give up on Ezra. I, I kind of bought it. I, I was surprised, actually. In that moment before she handed it over, um, I actually thought she was still going to shoot it. I, I don't know why. Like I, I thought they were going to subvert my expectations, and they they subverted my subverted expectations by doing the normal thing. Um, I hope that they, I hope that Ezra gets insight into what happened here, because Ezra will cuss her ass out for this. This is not yeah, a like, move Ezra would have done. I sacrificed myself for this. You undid my sacrifice. Yes, he would be very frustrated with this move. I mean, Ezra over and over. I mean, you, you, you. I don't have to. I don't have to explain this. I don't want to explain this because you know what he did with Thrawn, so you already know he's predisposed to doing things like this. But he he would routinely put himself in in jeopardy for the greater good of the mission. Sabine 
Yeah, routinely did not. Let's just say yeah. that. Well, it, in, interesting that this is on par for her. Um, but but there really is, you know, like like when a lot of good characters choose to spare the villain. And so often it's like you do know that every death they cause after this is because of you. Like every single death that Thrawn ever causes is on you now for all time. So I I have a that. I, I have a I have a prediction that he's going to cause a lot more. I a whole lot so. more. Probably more. A whole lot more. Probably a lot more. Than two. <laughs> yeah, probably more than two. Anyway, but she, maybe maybe she's just hasn't quite figured out a way to vocalize what we all know intuitively, which is Thrawn would run a better galaxy than these numbskulls, these stupid and, New Republic people. Stop. Okay, look. When there's people actually like, just okay. he'd run a better galaxy. Okay? I like the bit, but don't take. I like. Man, I on. like order. I like order. Okay. Stop it. Um, Stop it. I, I mean, you'll have to convince me that Thrawn isn't better than the rest of these goons for me to stop it. Uh, so fascism, my man. I feel like I win that argument kind of there. I'm just saying. You don't even know Thrawn. You haven't met him yet. Well, he's blue, and therefore he's obviously bad. Ah, oh, racist. He doesn't. <laughs> he. You have not met him yet. He is. He is not a one to one for the Emperor. Here's the thing. You have. You have and, much to learn about my guy Thrawn. What I know is I trust Ezra's judgment on the topic, sir. You don't even know Ezra. I trust his judgment. <laughs> I like Ezra, too. Ezra is really cool. Um, I'm, I'm excited we're going to get live-action Ezra probably next episode. That's pretty exciting, too. So, you know, she hands this fucking thing over to him. Is, is understanding <clears throat> who has a crush on him. I don't, I don't trust him. It talks about brother and sister relationships to understand romance. Everything else I trust him on. So she hands this thing over to him, and boom, there you go. Then Shin force chokes her. Balin tells Shin to release her. He has to tell her twice. A little tension there between master and student. And Shin finally does it. He says, I, I gave her my word, and unlike her former master, I shall keep mine. He's referencing, I think, the events that led to uh, Sabine's parents dying on Mandalore. Uh, more backstory than we're going to get into here, but I think that's what he's referencing. Um, he put the map back on the stone. The droid tells Elsbeth that the calculations are complete. It's ready. She says to send a shuttle to retrieve the good Lord Balin. Cut to Hu Yang, and he hears from Hera. Hu Yang's like, hey, could you, like, come, you know, sometime? And she's like, already here, already on it. And I got kind of hyped because I, for a moment, thought that Ezra – here's the thing about this whole fucking sequence, though, is that you know it's going to happen. Like, you know that, that – like, or at least I felt like I did. Like, I felt like I knew that they were going to get Thrawn. I've already seen Thrawn's image in some of the fucking car- – the, the advertisements for the show. Like, they're going to get him. So, like – I don't know. I felt like the jig was up. But there was a moment where I was kind of like, ooh, maybe Hera's going to be able to do something here. But no, typical Hera fashion. She was pretty ineffective. Um, her and four X-Wings go up to the the the, the larger vessel that they're going to use to go into hyperspace. And what they realize is, oh, fuck, um, they're not sending any, any starfighters out here to attack us. And one of the people and the X-Wing kind of pieces together. Well, I don't think they're planning to stick around to fight. And so they decide in their infinite wisdom to get in the way of the thing that that was going to do it. Basically, we're going to get, we're going to get in your way. And that was going to somehow stop them. And of course, when it cuts to Elsbeth, Elsbeth's like, fuck them, just ignore them. Let's, let's just go into, just get in the hyperspace. We're just going to go anyway. Who cares? So anyway, here I ask Carson. Yes, we, we will find out whether them getting in the way did anything to the ship. It sounds like probably no, it didn't. Um, I, I'm so frustrated that none of these starfighters like shot a bullet. Yeah, that was strange. Anything like you're here to blow it up. Uh, the robot, Do something. Told you, hey, blow it up. 
and you're like, oh, I wish I had some guns. Oops. Yeah. What the hair? This is like the fucking. Yeah, I don't know. And if it's just she's terrible at her job, then that's not. She's not. She's not terrible at her job, but it is kind of like a common trope that like. The group is doing some fighting and Hera's like back at the ship, like, hey, where can I pick you up from? And you're like, damn it, Hera, get out and do something. It's kind of the same yeah, thing here. I mean, you could have it be the closest thing to an explanation I could have is without somebody shooting at them, they don't feel right shooting first or something. You know, they're not Han Solo. They're the they're the new republic. They don't shoot first kind of thing. Maybe. But but that's dumb because she was a general in the war. Like she fought in the war. And she knows this is actually a continuation of the war. The, the, yeah, and I don't have any idea what she did in the war. I don't. I don't know why none of them fired a shot. It was very irritating that they did. Yeah. Agreed. And oh. potentially kind of inconsistent. Pause and go back though. When he destroyed the map. Oh yeah, he did destroy the map. That's right. So he destroyed the map. And what did he have to do to this? I found really interesting. Because I'm I'm annoyed that she didn't shoot the map and blow it up, and she handed it over, and it surprised me in a way that was interesting, but I didn't like from her, and it makes me like her less. Clearly, though, shooting it wouldn't have worked. It took multiple seconds of direct lightsaber force to blow the thing up. If she had shot it, the bullet would have apparently ricocheted off with maybe minor damage, and then she would have been killed, and then they would have had the map anyway. So... She had no way of knowing that. It doesn't get her out of it. But it does mean that by handing it over, our heroes are in a better situation than if she had tried and failed to shoot to shoot it. Yes. Agreed. So, worst, I, I worst, fan, worst fan theory oh, I've heard so far? Correct decision. Worst fan theory I've heard so far? Uh, a, the, the map got burned into Ahsoka's skin, and therefore we'll be able to retrieve it through, her, through Ahsoka's skin. Oh. Uh. I mean, we've seen awful. So I'll be really I mean, I'll, I'll be distressed at a very high level if if that this will be it won't be quite like Shin dying because I'll be I'll be a wreck when Shin dies. My favorite character. But my God, when, when if that is what they go with this, that is so fucking corny. I hope they don't do that. So that that would almost be funny because you say that. And my initial thought is Indiana Jones. And I was just thinking Indiana Jones before when the one included Never seen it. Look at my cool sword skills. And she's just like, that's cool. Look what I got. Death. Like, it felt very Indiana Jones when she just kills him with one swipe. Um, if it were that easy that a burned in, you know, just the symbols on the outside, you could look at them in poor resolution and figure it out. They would not have had to do a full Stargate SG-1 Chevron locking science sequence. They wouldn't have had to do all that if you could just look at it and figure it out. Agreed. So that's, I don't, that's, I don't think Ahsoka get, like, let's be clear. I don't think Ahsoka gets there because the map is burned into her skin. I think Ahsoka gets there through the world between worlds. But you don't need to talk about, are we at the point where you start talking about this? Almost, yeah. Back at the ship, Huyang's calling out for Sabine and, and Tano, Ahsoka. Uh, nothing back at the ledge. We see the edge. She fell off and there is, I, 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 I this is the type of thing where I say and then you'll go, ah, but, but like, I think the implication is you're supposed to look at that and go, oh, there's, she couldn't have survived that fall. Why else did they show it that way? Why else did they go back, pan over it the way that they did? I think they were trying to explain to us she would have died from the fall. So, I mean, in movies, people survive weird falls, especially in the water. All the right time. on cue. You did it right I, on cue. I assumed they were going to show her having washed up onto the sandy beach nearby, coughing water up and looking up at the sky is what I expected to have happen right there. 
But instead, we get a shot of Ahsoka's face, and she's lying on her back. And you're, I think, for the first four seconds of this, I thought she was on a beach. But then she moves a little bit, and you see that funky, weird, um, yeah. like Some Billy, water. Billy, Billy Jean music video lighting uh, under under the walkways of the World Between Worlds, which we've gotten before. And she stands up, and she looks around, and I could. Fans who have seen this in the animated series knew immediately what it was. World between worlds. I've mentioned it on this podcast before, and we hear in worlds or inside worlds. World between worlds. Oh, then I take back everything I said about the waters of Mandalore and lava. Because one time I thought I heard you say worlds within worlds, and I was saying there's only lava inside the worlds. World, so world between worlds. Okay, between it's worlds. All right, sure. The 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 between space. World the between worlds. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Sure. Anyway, we hear, but the, the surprising part, and this did surprise me, uh, I thought we would get Anakin at some point in the series. I did not expect it here and now. And we heard, hello, Snips. And as soon as I heard that, we all got kind of excited. I think that was supposed to be like a cheer moment for people who remember the Clone Wars series uh, because he called her Snips all the time. And she looks around, Master. And then we actually did get a little bit from Dawson where she started to act a little bit more like the previous Ahsoka character, she showed some like excitement, emotion on her face that she was seeing Anakin. Oh, gosh, my master. I'm so excited to see him. He says, I didn't expect to see you so soon. Warm music plays. She turns around to see Anakin. She says, Anakin. And then he smiles at her. And then the Vader theme takes us out, which I thought was interesting. The Vader theme taking us out. I think a lot. Of, let me let me set the table here before you, you start giving me your thoughts on this. I just want to point a couple small things out. One, it's the world between worlds and We've never seen a Jedi Force ghost in the world between worlds before. So this would be the first time ever for a Jedi Force ghost. Just take that data point into consideration. Two, his mechanical hand. He's got his mechanical hand as a Force ghost. That makes no what? sense. Why would you Why would you have your mechanical hand as the Force ghost? So that's another data point to consider on, on who she might be actually be interacting with. Um, and then I think maybe the, the third one here is uh, – that the only ways that we have seen people get into the world between worlds before, there's been two two distinct ways. One is through a portal. Sometimes people are in a world and there's an actual physical portal that when they walk through, they get to the world between worlds. So what would have had to happen is like there's a portal on the side of this cliff that she just happened to fall down at that exact moment. Or the second way, which we've seen before, which is someone in the world between worlds can pull you into it. Uh, we saw Ezra uh, pull Ahsoka into it. That's the only other way we've seen people get into the world between worlds is somebody pulling them into it. So I just wanted to point those couple things out before I get your take. Go. So I had never heard world between worlds except in you. And so I know that my takes are going to be wrong. Because I don't know what that is. And that's clearly a thing. This is not just theory. Like they've been here before. It is a known thing. I figured, and I, and I think this is what they had to know. Anybody who hasn't seen those shows would think Anakin is here. We know Force Ghost exists. And he says, I didn't expect to see you so soon. She's dead. He's dead. This is the Force Ghost afterlife. But that's not what it is. I didn't think you'd be dead so soon. Welcome to the heaven. You're heaven now. Space ghost heaven. And and sure, yeah, I'm here and you're here and now now we're here together. Like that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. So it's a couple things. One is people who have watched Star uh, Rebels and have watched 
uh, Clone Wars do not know what this place is. I mean, Filoni's tried to explain it, and it's just word soup. It's uh, a metaphysical representation of the Force. It's a separate plane of existence. It's a it's a magic planeswalker or something. I don't know. It's a different plane. Is there a way that you can go from one place to another, like a fourth dimension? Or I just is, told you, it's it's either through a portal or someone grabs you and pulls you into it. So, so I mean, could, could I can I walk through a portal on my planet and then walk yes. out a portal on another planet? Yes. Okay. Um, can I interact with our world from the world between worlds? In as much as you can yank people into it, yeah, but you can't really like. The, I've not. We have not seen someone. So let me answer it this way. You can, in the world between worlds, see scenes over time. This is a, this is a not linear time place, right? So I think most of us suspect that Anakin and Ahsoka will do a greatest hits of some of the scenes in their relationship. I think we'll see some scenes through, like that he'll be able to show them in this place. So he but, might be, he, he might actually go to Christmas past her. Yeah, kind of. Like be in touch with, her emotions yes, and then kinda. hunt her out on Thrawn's planet. Kind of. That, that's kind of how that could happen. Uh, that's actually sort of my theory, but I would have put it much more like really like fancy than that and like really serious. But like, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, um, I, feel like I said it pretty succinctly. There. That's pretty yeah. it. Yeah. I would have, I would have added more words probably, but yeah, that's kind of how it is. Like it, they can see different things in time as you're walking through there, but you, I've not seen people change those events. I don't know if they can or can't, but we've not seen people actually change the events of the past, but they can see them. So I think the hope of like, I don't know, me, uh, is that we see Mustafar. Like, I hope that she goes, oh, Anakin, if I had just been there, if I had just been there and he goes, okay, snips, let's see, let's, let's see what would have happened. And we all, and like, it wouldn't have changed anything, right? Anakin still was going to say, fuck the world. Even if Ahsoka had showed up, maybe that gives her some closure. I don't know that like she couldn't have prevented it. She couldn't have stopped it. And then maybe that motivates her to get back out and go. But I do think that whatever happens in this thing, that they will punt her in your, you so eloquently stated out into the galaxy where Thrawn is. I think that's how she gets there with the rest of them. I, I will more or less accept that. I have to say more or less because I'm okay. from not having seen anything. And a hundred looks like there is like heaven. Dead. Yeah, it seems like heaven. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe you. Like I'm not saying that they actually are dead, and this is space heaven, but he's dead, and he's a space ghost. And well, that's the that's the her. big yeah, that's the big debate. He to see her, but not for a long time. That's I'm the big debate. Is like what you know? We've never seen a force ghost there before, and so it's like, well, what is like? There's a lot of people who think this isn't Anakin. That this is just. Her, her vision when she's in the world between worlds, but this is just a vision she's having and like Anakin's mechanical hand would be some evidence of that because she would, I don't know, maybe remember him with the mechanical hand because that's like the last time she saw him was when he was Darth Vader at the end of Rebels. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, try to piece this together. Uh, in, in the episode six, when you see Anakin's force ghost, when they redid the movies, so it's Hayden Christensen's face. Do you know if we see his hand? All ten digits, homie. All so ten. He has two biological hands when he's a space ghost. Got the got the both of them. Got the both of them. Okay. Um. All right. Well, then I I, I don't know then. 
I am worried it's a mistake. I'm worried that they just didn't think it through because that that would be a unfortunate, unfortunate with, with, error. It looked like he was weirdly sort of CG, like to de-age him or something. Was yeah, that they, just, they de-aged him, yeah. yeah. Why? Why? Because in, in Obi-Wan, they showed they can just with makeup make the actor look approximately how he should. Why? I think why I think if, I think that this I think that that what you I think what you just did there would be an example of why Dave Filoni's head's going to explode because you said, oh, we just saw we just saw in Obi Wan that you could just do it this other way and it's fine. People raised sand hell about that way and thought that he looked old and they, that they should have de-aged him there for that scene and because he would it because it was a flashback and he was supposed to look younger there so they de-age him here and now people are like wait a second why didn't you do it the other way nobody's going to be happy look the fact right. is you can't have Hayden Christensen from 2001 come back like it's not around so fair enough I will say I hate it and that I disagree but I I, I take your point completely that you can't win with everybody on this and it is even possible that if they did the other one I would have maybe disliked it I don't know all I know is I hated this a lot. So Yeah, I didn't mind it. I I know what I mean, I'm smart enough to know like they're trying to DH him, like just go with it. Like it's fine. Like And and and, and I will say I, I accepted it with Obi Wan. Like it was a little awkward, but it was also a little impressive. Like I, I thought it was okay. Like I, I took it as as a necessary evil and pretty well done when they did Obi Wan. Yeah, I don't I don't have any problem with that aspect of it. The problem I have is that I worry that they stuck his mechanical hand on him and didn't think through exactly why they were doing that. I also wonder if it's really him or not. I think that they're you I I suspect that the vast majority of people who haven't read into any of the background or watched any of the previous shows would think this is just Jedi heaven. I think that's a very fair read based on mm-hmm. what we have seen. And that's inconsistent with what we've seen with the world between worlds before. Um, I will say this about the world between worlds is that there are some people who have heard sort of the, the few scouting reports on it and go, Oh, well maybe, you know, maybe the Anakin, maybe this is some sort of like bait and switch, right? That this is some sort of dark side presence or something that is showing Anakin and that she's going to face it. That's off the table. The emperor had a whole thing where he was trying to get in the world between worlds. He can't get there. He could, he, he, the Sith users, Sith followers cannot get into the world between worlds. So that's off the table. It's not the, it's not Palpatine that's giving this, this vision to her. Okay. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I do suspect though that we are, he is going to play with the time element of the world between worlds next episode. This is just a couple of my theories and we're going to see sort of Anakin walk. That's a great way to put it. The, the, the ghost of Christmas past and he's going to walk her through some of the history of them together and hopefully will give her a little bit of peace that his turn to the dark side really didn't have anything to do with her. And there really wasn't anything she could have done differently. And I, I firmly believe that on both counts. I don't think she was the cause of it. I don't think she could have prevented it. So I'm really, I'm, I'm going to say this every episode that it comes up. The fact that they have David Tennant in a wibbly wobbly, timey wimey galaxy spanning through space with space whales and a lonely astronaut. Oh gosh. My Doctor Who fandom is so strong. I love it. All right. The other prediction I have before we do our segments and get out of here is um, I I think Grogu's coming. No. I think we're getting Grogu. No. Yeah, we're getting Grogu this season. It's happening. Well, have fun with that. Have fun with that. What does that mean? What does that mean? You're just going to skip the scenes? Have fun with that? Just like have fun expecting that. And if it happens, I hope you enjoy it because I will roll my eyes and kind of remember how the best episode of 
Boba Fett was the episode that didn't have anything to do with Boba Fett and how we're getting Grogu because Ahsoka is going to call out for the remaining Jedi to come help her in some capacity. And so we likely get Luke. We'll likely get Grogu. Like it won't, I don't think it should be. I would be upset if it was, Oh, Grogu and and Mando just happened to show up like, Ooh, let's boost ratings. It needs to be like, if we're getting Grogu, we probably need to get Luke as well. And that would explain, that would explain, um, some of the, um, I, cause I, th- I thought that what was happening, that this, this, these events are happening between season two and season three of Mando. I think that's the timeline. So that would explain how she got hooked up with Luke and met Luke and all that before, uh, Grogu went over there. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, okay. but anyway, point being, I think she's going to call out at some point. It's just a prediction. She's going to call out for the remaining Jedi to help her either with Balin or some part of the season arc journey and we will get Luke and Grogu. We have, we already have in canon what happens when you do that. You get the voice of Samuel L. Jackson your head saying, get the fuck up and fight. And then you'd win. Yeah, that's Mace Windu saying, get, get up. Go. Go. And then you can, then you can channel the spirit of all of the Jedi and then one fell lightning bolt defeat the person who wouldn't die for nine straight fucking episodes before that. So, so what you're saying is you expect to get Grogu, but it's really her calling out. And amongst all the like wisdom, there's just, Go 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 ah. in the middle. That's what you think. Doesn't what it's not what he sounds like. It's offensive. He's a he's very he's sentient. He's very smart and he's capable and he will help. He will probably help save her life at some point. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he killed Balin. That would be dope. Grogu just showed up and fucking offed Balin. Nah, no. Nah, really, how that would that would have to go down is like she puts out a call. Maybe that attracts Grogu. Maybe it doesn't. But Luke is the one that shows up and handles Balin. And that would that would actually be that would make some sense. Anyway, let's go to our segments. What was your, uh, obviously my, uh, nostalgic moment of the episode was seeing Anakin. Uh, I, I didn't mind the de-aging at all. I was excited to see him. I love the Hayden Christensen portrayal of Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker from the first three movies. Love the prequels. It's covered on this podcast channel. If you haven't seen that before, we covered the prequels and I fought it out with Jamie and Spencer about how much I liked the prequels and specifically his portrayal of Anakin. So that was my nostalgic moment of the episode. What was yours? The fight in the woods, actually. Uh, her, I, I didn't have the Inquisitor background, so that part wasn't meaningful to me. But as she put the lightsaber above her head for that specific fighting style that you've seen from the movies and other things, that was actually nostalgic to me. It felt really like a callback in of itself. And then the Mandalorian explosion out of the wrist, which is just from the Mandalorian TV show, nostalgic for me, but loved it, loved it so much. So that, that was my moment. Okay, and mine very much was... Uh, mine very much was Anakin, as I, I mentioned. So, all right, best line of the episode. I'd like to nominate, as honorable mention, going somewhere from Shin. I kind of hope, <laughs> I kind of hope that going somewhere from Shin can be like the new hello there. Like that we just get her doing that a lot. Like with her leg up on something going, going somewhere. Like, you know, two or three times during the series. That'd be great. I would love that so much. Cause I was wondering, well, they, they walked up and it's like, look, I know what's going on and you know what's going on. We're here to stop you. But, if you don't do anything, we can just stand here if that you want. That's getting my job done, and you're all peaceful, so we can just stand here. I, I, I actually loved that moment. So weirdly awkward, but effective. Loved it. But anyway, my, my favorite one um, is – gosh, where is it? I thought I had it here. Is the Ahsoka line where she explains, oh, yeah, sometimes we have to do what is right regardless of our personal feelings. 
And when the stakes are this high, I have to. I think that whole sort of sequence with, with her, for me, works. Uh, I think Ahsoka means what she's saying. She thinks that this is how she's operating. If she is or not, we can, we can argue that out. And I think it's a lesson that Sabine clearly needed to hear and did not hear. Yeah. Or she heard I, and ignored. I, I don't know. But either way, she I, didn't, I she didn't it. take it to heart. Well, and I took that as a – Ahsoka seems very honest, but not super open. And that, that was actually her being pretty open of, like, no, I don't always think it's true. But when it's important enough, it has to be true kind of thing. And I, 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 I loved that, actually. I think that spoke a lot to the depths that we're not really seeing. She is a little bit of telling instead of showing her internal feelings, but I'll take it. It was good. It's a lot telling versus showing <laughs> for me because yeah. I, I don't get any showing. But, yeah, it, I, I, I think one of the reasons I like this episode more is that I felt like I got more from Ahsoka because of the writing. Um, so I, I still felt like I was getting more emotion and where, like where her head was at, as opposed to her just walking around like a lamppost or something. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else this uh, episode before we wrap up? Uh, well, my line of the episode would be snips. Like, oh, hello snips. I, I, I've never, I've only seen like season one of Clone Wars, so I don't even know most of it, but I know enough to smile when I heard that and to be a little bit disoriented because I didn't know for sure that he was going to be in it. I kind of guessed that he would because he's been in other stuff, but um, it was nice. I smiled. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, somehow, some way Hayden Christensen, despite what happened for the past 20 years is still a star Wars fan and still likes the community and still wants to be a part of it. So shout out to him. So he's, I think I, he's going to be around in a lot of stuff. Okay. My, my answer somehow Anakin's ghost returned. Yeah. We need an explanation for that. I, I, I still am like only like 60% so, sure it's really secrets, Anakin. Cloning. Witchcraft, I don't know, whatever they said in episode nine for how the Emperor returned. I'm only like a little bit more than 50% sure that it's really Anakin. There's a large part of me that thinks it might not be him. But anyway, we'll see next episode, and then we'll also see what way they work in Grogu, because I'm excited to see that as well. But anyway, on this podcast feed, yeah, episode five, we'll have myself, Jamie, and Spencer back for a mid-season review of Ahsoka. Spencer will be back with us. We'll review episode five, but we'll also give our general thoughts about the sort of halfway point ceiling season and how we're feeling about it. Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. We'll see you next week. <laughs>